So I want to become a dog trader. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. Hey, PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hello. Hi. Oh. Hi. How? Uh, how? Oh, hello. Sorry, that was Bob saying hi as well. Oh. I don't know if my mic picked it up. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Here, Bob. Hey, hi. Did you get that? Uh, we've got a little bit of it. A little oh, bit. Okay. A little Bob bark. A little. Oh, well, I got bark. a lot. <laughs> um, how are you, Nat? You good? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. And we also joined. Stopped raining. I know it has stopped raining, hasn't it? Which is lovely for one day only. I think. I think Saturday's going to be pretty rough. We're also joined today by um, the lovely Corin. Oh, you don't often describe me like that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> With us two loud mouths. <laughs> Coming along because you're excited um, uh, to get involved in the interview today, aren't you? I am. I'm a big fan of Amber. Well, well to be fair, she is always excited about who we're interviewing. Yeah, yeah. But it's just that sometimes we say, no, you're not allowed, you're not invited. That, that is a true story. Yeah. <laughs> not so much on Nat's part, but definitely on Steve's part. I blame Corinne's giant chair. <laughs> it's not, apparently there's not always room for me. <laughs> no, I think it's just that he wants to eat dinner the minute we finish recording. Yeah. And he can't cook dinner and do an interview. I've, I've prepped. I've prepped already for dinner. That's That makes it sound like Steve's like some 1950s. Doesn't it? Husband, but the other way around can happen. Steve, that's not that's not what Steve is about. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Corin would Corin would argue differently. She, she thinks I'm the patriarchy incarnate. It's that I one think. meal a day he's having at the moment. Around five o'clock, he's unbearable. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the hanger. I mentioned uh, I mentioned sandwiches um, off air 
and both of their little faces. That was just that was Corin. Yeah, that's Corin's the sandwich queen and snacks and ice. You know, but that's not that much. She had lunch and snacks and is still unbearable. I don't actually. (laughs) I don't think I did have a snack today. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Go and get. Shall I get you a snack? Have you eaten all of those hot noodles I gave you yet? Not yet. I thought I could wait. Anyway, intro. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are we doing? Where are we? Who are we? Who are we? Um, we are Barks from the Bookshelf. And we are coming back with a um, a- another special um, themed around the Dog X 2023 conference happening on the 8th of October, <laughs> Sunday, the 8th of October. I, I haven't heard about it. Oh, well, it's what? only oh. just going to be the most bestest, most amazing in-person dog related conference that the uk has ever seen <gasps> whoa, whoa. Bold wow. um, well i might i might have to come how how would i go about booking my ticket are there tickets there are tickets there are still tickets right. left although they are going very fast natalie so mm. if i were you i'd get onto our website I... pack-dogs.com uh <laughs> and uh click on the dog x tab and uh get okay. yourself a ticket because you don't want to miss out on this it's going to be yeah. huge it's going to be amazing and who have we got so, um, well, we've got Grisha coming over. Grisha Stewart. Sindor, uh, who we yep. uh, recorded with uh, just yesterday, actually. Yep. Sindor's uh, doing a, um, she's appearing via Zoom. Um, Zoom, Zoom. Uh, because she couldn't uh, run over from Italy, apparently. Italy? India. <laughs> God, it's been a long day. <laughs> I'm just going for any. Steve's been a model <laughs> today and he's absolutely shattered. Any any country that uh, starts with I yeah, will do, apparently. God knows what else is going to come out of his mouth <laughs> in the course of the interview. I might just go. I and, can't wait. I'll just go and eat my dinner. Shall we turn that off? Sindor, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yep. Um, yep. She'll be joining live for a Q&A during the day as well. Um, mm-hmm. So Amber, who is just entered the waiting room. Ooh, Ooh. exciting. Um, Amber Batson, yeah, we've got Tom Candy. Yeah, um, sorry, Tom, I forgot you last time. <laughs> so can we add, insert fanfare here? We've also got Tom Candy. Tom's got to come on the, on, on the podcast as well. We just saw an out of date. Oh, we've got oh. loads of people. I mean, go on the web, get on, get on the website, have a look. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Come along. Um, it's very reasonably priced. You'll get a lolly lolly vegan lunch. Lolly lolly lolly, and some lolly lolly wine. And yes. wine at the end, not during, because that'll just be an absolute free for all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely awesome, isn't yeah, it? It's going to be brilliant. It's on a I Sunday. cried last time on the way home. It, it was, wasn't that bad. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did have a little we did this was amazing moment didn't we we good. made a conference we made a conference um okay well, because amber has already joined the waiting room and we don't want to keep her waiting shall we should we go straight in with some amber facts um, yes and I'm, then we can, I, we can let her in i am in no way reading this at all Amber Batson, veterinary surgeon and behaviourist. Dr Amber Batson graduated from the Royal Veterinary College in 1999. She quickly became interested in behaviour and undertook a number of qualifications about canine, feline and equine behaviour and welfare. Amber currently works primarily in providing education to owners and professionals in order to improve our understanding of behaviour, both to aid our relationships with animals and also to better recognise and address any health or welfare issues. She feels passionately about bridging the gap between the up-to-date science, pardon me, that's Coke Zero, and practical applications <laughs> of that information 
She also continues to work in clinical practice as a behaviorist and as a vet. Nice. And nice Off to, ha- nice to have a, 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 an appearance from Coke Zero in the middle of that as well. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It's, it's, not, just... it's not often you get these little cameos. I don't drink fizzy drinks a lot. Well, I drink my fizzy water, but, that you know, that's fine. But the Coke has, uh, it may resurface again. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We should have its own jingle. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's the massive belch, like Homer Simpson style belch. <laughs> right. Shall we let Amber in then? Yeah, let's go for it. Brilliant. Please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Superstar. Sure for nothing. And boy, do I have plans for you. How are you? Hello, hi Pat team. It is brilliant to be here. I'm great. Thank you very much. Good Thanks to see for coming. You. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all very, You're mostly very welcome. Exactly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> is it me? Am I the one that's not welcome? Oh, it's <laughs> no, it's the fact that somebody's got a um, delicious drink on their screen and I'm sat with water and missing my dinner. Oh. Cheers, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> we're all a little bit jealous there. So, um, would, would be me. As we've been discussing, um amber is joining us for the 2023 dog x conference um <laughs> yeah we are so thrilled that you um said yes again it's a good sign that you enjoyed yourself uh last time i'm guessing um it, yeah it was a brilliant conference last year i think it genuinely is one of the best conferences i have ever been to oh, oh my god overall let alone just in the dog community per se um, why was it so brilliant? Because it was so welcoming. Um, I- I'm not a big conference fan. I'm a little bit socially inept at times, which might surprise some people because everyone knows that I, you know, can be a bit of a performer and I can chat away for hours. But you know, when I go to CPD and conferences like that, I sometimes find myself hiding in the toilet for about 20 minutes to avoid hang- ch- ran- making random chat with people I don't really want to chat with. But you know what I found? I didn't hide in the toilets once. And that wasn't because we the toilets them. were full. It was because um, I wanted to talk to everybody because everybody was so welcoming. There were so many wonderful people there to chat with. Um, and, yeah, there was space to look at things as well. And, you know, if you didn't want to be, you know, actively engaging, there were quieter zones that you'd set up love the venue you know the whole for me I'm quite an eco-friendly environmentally friendly person so the whole Winchester University thing um you know making sure that we've considered the carbon footprint of our traveling in person Mm -hmm. that is fantastic I think it's fairly um leading in the field because there's not enough animal conferences in particular doing that sort of stuff um you know there was just in your attitude, the pack team's attitude, um, you know, just the way you introduce the speakers, the friendliness, the giggles. Well, you it, created most of those so giggles. Welcoming. It's so much <laughs> yeah. fun. It's not judgmental. It's, you know, it's not about judging. It's not about comparison. It's And also, of course, we were talking about networking and community, which is such an important thing. And that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like we had speakers on stage who were 
you know, doing the talk, but actually weren't walking the walk, we felt like, it certainly felt to me that the conference was about positive networking and taking that message home and what could we do with it in the community? Yeah, we all probably forgot about it a week later, but because that's what we do when we go to CPD and conferences. Um, no, we didn't because I um, have given a, 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 a private chat to one of the packed groups in the UK since then as a result of it. Um, I've also chatted to multiple other, um, you know, packed members because of it too. So, you know, it's, it, it is having an impact, but it just as a conference, on its own just just fantastic and and i i can't wait actually um to, to come back really looking forward to it Amazing. oh we can't wait to have you i think just like book every first sunday in october for the rest of your life is that okay <laughs> yeah you just <laughs> talk to wear off we'll all get bored of one another quite soon but you know um yeah no right maybe uh, five years and then you know we'll say our goodbyes <laughs> Yeah, you you can uh, you know not invite me to speak. I were going to be there listening, you know, because it's just brilliant. You've invite you're inviting so interesting people, and you're engaging with them in a way which brings out the best in those speakers and the audiences. They're really enjoying it because of the tone of the whole thing. That's what's just so brilliant about it. I'm just going to make a very quick mental note here to add another zero onto Amber's check. Yeah. <laughs> well, Amber said how great it was at the time. I remember being pretty giddy about that. I was like, Amber's really impressed with our conference. This is great. And then you gave away, um, you were like, I wanted to give away a spot um, of, on one of your upcoming courses. And so we did yeah. rock, paper, scissors, and someone won a spot on your course. Yeah, that was amazing. That went on for ages. It did. It was a very <laughs> really long game. Did. Quite some time with that game, didn't we? But you know, we got there in the end. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what we'd be wasting half an hour doing this year? <laughs> Can't wait, Can't to, wait find to find out. out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, so you know, if you're listening and you're not sure if you're coming or not, just do it. <laughs> It'll oh, be brilliant. Yeah. There's brilliant speakers going to be there. You know, even Tom Candy's coming. You know, and he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to love that because when we spoke to Cinder, I listed all the speakers and I forgot him. <laughs> I, had to, I, I texted him afterwards. I was like, I'm so sorry, Tom. I forgot. You went to the conference this year and you did it with an image of me and some comments from last year. And he private messaged me and went, Well, I've got no chance, have I now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting Tom. I've so, never, yeah, so I've never met Tom. Just, I'm having a little jape. Tom's brilliant and I can't he wait to hear him speak. And like you say, and you've got Cinder, I mean, I'm not going through everybody. You've got you've got some brilliant speakers. And I just know that the tone of the conference will be wonderful. And you'll have considered the environment, you're considered animals as well as the humans. And and for me, that's just such an important thing. Amazing. Oh, thank, you. thank you so much for those lovely words. You're right. right. Well, uh, that's it then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wrapping up the podcast with them. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple of things um, that came up in the conference last year um, that I just wanted to pick your brains about because obviously, as well you know, we have um, a lot of dog trainers and student dog trainers um, with impact. Um, and quite often they come, I think the, the gray area between what is a trainer, you know, teaching a dog new skills um, and a behaviorist working on behavioral issues, those sorts of things. That gray area is, is, is always there, isn't it? That line. Um, and I think we as trainers, quite often now find ourselves more and more um 
in that sort of area and wanting to refer on or maybe wanting to start a dialogue with vets um what would you think is the is the ideal kind of umbrella best case scenario for all of us working together if you had like the shangri-la of everything what would that look like would there would there be a whole team of people would there be what would amber's world be like yeah it's it's a great question and i think um Amber's world might be needing to be different to Wayne's world, who needs to be different to somebody else's world. So I think it's a very difficult, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And I'm going to use the word thing because I can't think of a better word to navigate, to be honest. Um, I What I see is I see a lot of... Um, confusion from the caregivers for the dogs which is a good start obviously not a good start is it you know and um and then like you say there's this oh for us as professionals is this really my area is it not my area and i think what i would really like to see more and more is people feeling comfortable with their own skill set and knowing their own limitations and and being genuinely comfortable about that you know when i i looked at quite recently i saw a dog um and uh, the dog had previously fractured a bone in their wrist in their knee and their front leg um and the dog is now same knee is swollen um dog's lame on it and we need to take some more radiographs some more x-rays and yeah i did that and i looked at the radiographs and i thought this isn't my skill set you know, and do you know what? I'm okay about that. Mm -hmm. If that dog had been a horse, I'd have been fine because believe it or not, actually, I'm really a horse vet. I just pretend to be a dog vet. <laughs> and, um, but I've taken a lot. It's not really that. I am a dog vet nowadays, but I used to be a horse vet a lot. But the thing is about horses, give me a knee image of a horse any day because their bones are nice and square shaped and they all have a bit of space between them. Dogs, they're all a little bit more higgledy piggledy and overlapping because they're a smaller animal. And I was just like, oh, you know, I'd know if that was a racehorse with a fractured bone, but I, this dog, oh no, it's all a bit messy. I know my limitation. And do you know what? I'm okay about that. Now, maybe that's because I'm of a particular age. <laughs> and I think the older we get, we get to the point where we're, we're more confident in ourselves to say what we like and what we don't like. Mm. And that's true of our profession and it's true of other things i'm not going to mention sex lives or whatever you know we are it, it, it's just that's how we become and living as i do alongside two elderly sets of parents the older you get the more more kind of um set you feel about the ways you feel and what skill sets you do and don't have etc and i see that kind of belligerence happening in in old dogs too i know i should be fed now so just give me that food <laughs> And they all start and voting we just Brexit. Become more like that the older we get, don't we? Um, yeah. So I think that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see people having a confidence about the role they play for that dog and those caregivers and feeling okay about where that boundary stops for them. Genuinely knowing they're making a difference to that, that dog and the caregivers involved with that dog at the, the level at which they work best. You know, and and so I, I'm all for scent work and nose work. I think it can be brilliant. I don't, you know, yes, I've done some with my own dogs. I am not a, a scent work expert. 
I want a client to go and learn to do scent work, then I'm going to recommend them to X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. person, mm -hmm. you know, because that's not what I do. I might have some building block foundations that I know I can get them to do some little tiny bits, but that's it. That's my limitation on that particular thing. And so I think clarity within the industry needs to get better. And I know that various bodies are working quite hard on that at the moment, that there's constant bickering about it still, as there have been for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Um, you know, uh, and what is a trainer? What's a training instructor? What's a behaviour support artist? What's a <laughs> clinical animal behaviourist? I mean... It would be nice if everybody, but for me, it's just about you as an individual. Do you feel comfortable telling the client what your skill set is at the beginning so they know what they're coming for and then knowing where your limitations lie and then who else you can talk to? You know, and that goes for vets too, because clearly I, I've just had a message in the last week where a, a behaviorist has had a, a feedback from one of their clients from the veterinary practice which is the dog is um offering these which the behaviorist says are fear-based behaviors at the vets the vets apparently have said a vet staff member has said anyway um no it's a dominant dog mm. so you know and i can't count the number of times over the last 10 20 years i've received referrals from vets where the vet has written oh, it's probably dominance-related aggression, or it's probably hormone-related aggression, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I would not, as a behaviourist, be writing to a vet and saying it's probably hip dysplasia, it's probably got an overactive thyroid yeah, gland, right. blah, yeah. blah. That's outside of my skill set, hmm. you know. So vets know our limits to, you know, behaviourists, trainers, whatever we call ourselves until they become legalities about what we can and can't call ourselves. You know, just know your own limits and be comfortable with them, really. And then, yes, we become a team because I know what I can't do and I know who can do it for me. Mm. Just like if I've got an, I've got a wonderful orthopedic surgeon I, rec I work with regularly. It's operated on my dogs, too. And, you know, if I've got that is my limitation for that in this particular case, you need to go and see that person. Basically, if I've got an eye thing and I know that's beyond my skill set, go and see an ophthalmology specialist. That shouldn't be different in the behavior and training industry. You know, I'm a trainer. I know I can teach new things to the dog, new skills, new activities, new behavior patterns to the dog in these contexts. Great. Hang on a minute. But this dog is already offering something which doesn't doesn't seem great. It's not good for the people around them. It's not good for the dog themselves in that context. Mm, is that really my area? You know, and then you know who you can send them to, who you can recommend the client goes to. And I think obviously from the client's perspective, actually, clients as a society, we've got to get a bit better at the concept of um, there isn't a magic wand. There isn't a magic fix all in life, full stop, not just in animal behavior. You know, and actually, therefore, you might need more than one or two or three people to help you with a particular problem. It's not like you can ask a question on Facebook and you're going to get the best answer. It's just not true, is it? Yeah. So, you know, it's the same when you see a trainer or a behaviorist or a vet. You know, it may well be actually that individual should be able to say to you, I think you need to go to someone else about this particular issue. But we can still work together on X, Y and Z. You know, and the client shouldn't then go, well, you're rubbish because you can't fix it. Yeah. As a society, we need to be, you know, understanding of the fact that 
that things are complicated and we need teams and networks to work together. I, I couldn't agree more. I think I uh, before I was um, working with dogs, I used to do hairdressing. And one thing I hated doing and couldn't do very well was hair up. So like things for events, you know, when people want to fancy do. Um, and especially, Wedding, you mean. yeah, yeah. And if somebody wanted a plat, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, that's not my thing. But give me, you know, I love color. That was my thing. I could cut. I yeah. did that. But yeah, there's some hairdressers when, when we used to work in the salon. If I wanted that do, I'm going to go and see that person if I wanted that. So there's loads of other industries that I think that's maybe already more acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good analogy, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just think there was something that happened to me the other day, and I, which was exactly that. And but I'm not, I'm like, it'll come to me. It might come to me in a minute because I, I, at the time, I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's exactly the thing. You know, what are we, we as individuals? The oh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I went to an arcade um, place with my son yesterday, rainy day, um, summer holidays, and um, so I said, oh, let's go to. There's an arcade thing concept now where you pay for an hour and you can just play on the arcade you don't need to pay any extra money right. basically <gasps> wow. um wow yeah no it's amazing i'm not gonna plug them um and um <laughs> and when when you go to go in the the member of staff he said um we do this thing this challenge and he said you know we've all got our different skill sets on the different arcades he said if you want to challenge us as a staff member on our best game and you beat us you get this prize which is like free really repeat free entry or whatever and, and it's that same thing isn't yeah. it because if I'm really good on you know a racing game that does not mean to say oh, I'm brilliant at Pac-Man yeah. for heaven's sake and it's the same thing isn't that so there we go you'll always find me at That's the basketball like nets yeah or the two, <laughs> the two oh, P so yeah two P machine is me <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. I I me and my son it's Luigi's mansion if anyone knows that we are, we're top yeah. at Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, okay. good. Ch Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, as trainers, one of the biggest challenges that you, that you get is if you, if you start to think, you, if, you, if you're starting like a consultation with someone or you, you know, it's your first time and, and then you start to think that there may be a sort of medical component that's, that's at play here somewhere, maybe pain, maybe you're looking at the gate, the I don't know, all of these things that might be out of your skill set, but you've kind of got a bit of like something in the back of your head going, oh, hang on a minute. It's trying to convince, you know, what you normally get, and this is what normally happens to me, is you would say something like that to, or maybe it's worth getting a vet check, you know, to um, a guardian caregiver. And what you normally get is, oh, yeah, they, they had a vet check a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, it's all come back fine. There's no, haven't noticed anything weird. You know, I just, we just need training. And it kind of like shuts the conversation down at that point. And that mm -hmm. trying to get that, that, that dialogue right is a real sticky situation sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think absolutely. You had a um, you had a speaker at last year's conference, Suzanne Rogers, and and she mm. talked about if people are at what we call the pre-contemplation stage. So for them, they've come with a particular goal in mind, which is to get the dog to do X, Y, and Z. Um, if you mention something that you have concerns about, which arm isn't overtly related to that. They weren't. E they were in that pre-contemplation stage. They weren't even thinking about that. It wasn't on their radar. And the thing about pre-contemplation is you're not ready 
to have that conversation. Yeah. So in a way, what we often end up needing to do, and I, I get we get it as vets all the time. You know, it can be the dogs come in to see me because they've got itchy skin, let's say. But actually, what I see, same thing. I see the dog walk into the room and I'm like, oh, they they don't look like they're walking comfortably. You know, but if I then say to that client, well, I think your dogs um, actually their lameness is a bigger problem than their skin disease. Then actually, that's not a great place to be starting a relationship. Now, in the veterinary industry, um, I think actually, obviously, we're quite scary individuals like doctors and, you know, and surgeons. So we have that kind of almost parent effect when we talk about ego states and we often talk about parent, adult, child. We have a parent impact on a lot of individuals if we're not careful. Sometimes it might be appropriate, though, for a certain context. And so actually the client tends to go, oh, OK, OK, sir. Yes. You think the lameness is worse you know, than the skin disease? OK, OK. That still doesn't mean to say, but the, my my worry about that is that actually that didn't make that individual feel comfortable about that. And maybe it didn't necessarily mean that they actually genuinely have noticed what the dog is doing. Um, and so they might well go away. And then what they'll probably do next time is, that, can I not see that vet again? Yeah. You know, can, can I see a different vet? Or they might even move practice, you know. And I mean, you do, of course, get the odd person who perhaps has noticed, you know, something and, and you, you, you twig enough of a bell, ring enough of a bell and they go, yeah, actually, now you mention that blah. And so actually they weren't in the pre-contemplation phase. They were already contemplating. Uh, it's just they weren't, you know, it hadn't quite, you know, factored in strongly enough at that point. But so when you mention something and people, persons like to be pre-contemplation, like, you know, they're, they're just not expecting it. And it feels to them like it comes, you know, from from left field. Yeah. That's not going to work, is it? So one of the things I would probably consider doing, I'm not saying this is definitely, it's not the only answer and it probably is not going to work in all scenarios. Certainly the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight it as an observation in a gentle way. Like, I, you know, so we'll talk about the thing that we're doing. We might be, think, maybe be thinking about setting up to train the thing we want to train. Then I'm going to say, if you did, when your dog moves around, so let's mm. just say we're looking at a lameness as an example. You know, when your dog, when, you know, first call him Fido, for a laugh. When Fido's moving around today, is that how Fido normally moves? You know, you know, and, and not in a funny way. Obviously, the tone of your voice, yep. it, it, it's going to vary in the moment. But, you know, is that, you know, so if you're not trying to make an issue, is that how Fido normally means? Can we just take a moment to watch Fido? I, and, and I would say something like, I always love to do this at the beginning of a training session because I want to make sure that, you know, they're ready, the dog's on board as much as you're on board. So I'd always wait, give the dog a little bit of free time just to make sure that they're engaging with their environment, they're moving freely, everything seems fine. How do you think you know Fido is doing today in comparison to what Fido normally does? Now, of course, if at that point the client goes, "Yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's exactly what they're they're normally like," then obviously they are in a pre-contemplation stage for that particular thing, and we've then got to think about how do we handle that. And it might just be information gathering at that time, that you know, and it may be planting a little bit of a seed. Yeah, I've just noticed later on in the session, and maybe we amend the session because you're a bit worried about the lameness. Obviously, if the dog's hopping lame, we've got to do something from a welfare perspective. You know, but if we're talking about something that you feel is a little bit more subtle and the client's not picking up on, then we'd probably go along the lines of, okay, well, we'll just amend the training a bit without the client really realising that. So we just can do something that's appropriate for the dog. And then I might say, I've just noticed a few times, have you noticed? And then try and engage mm -hmm. them in a heavy noticed that maybe 
head not standing. Can you see that, you know, what weight Fido's putting more of their weight on or when they're walking? What, you know, and just plant that seed and say, I wonder if we should keep an eye on them, yeah, you know, that's... and maybe get a bit of video footage if the client agrees, um, you know, or maybe ask the client to give a description to that or something along the line so that they can take that image home and then think on it. And it, it's just that sort of thing, isn't it? And, it, we are not, as the trainer or as a behaviourist, so as a non-vet professional, we are not there to make any diagnosis about medical conditions. But what we are there to do is to advocate for the dog. And sometimes clients just don't recognise things. It's easy to not be aware of things when you live with an individual, as an example. Mm -hmm. So I saw a dog quite recently who oh, I've seen a few actually, but I think of one particular dog who was really, really quite thin when I managed to stroke the dog. And the client, the, the guardian for the dog, doesn't hadn't noticed that the dog was that thin, you know. And that's because when you live with an individual every day, yeah. you can get to a point where you just don't know. In fact, I saw a dog two days ago who's the opposite, grossly morbidly obese. Um, if you think you know who you are, either those clients um, just let it wash over you. <laughs> um, um, but particularly the one I've called morbidly, ob morbidly obese. Um, and the, because, dog, the dog, right? The dog? Yeah, I don't, I don't, okay, look, right. I don't look at people. Just checking. I, I spend a lot of time saying to people when they're moving their dog around so that I can assess the dog's gait, I am not looking at you. I have no interest in your legs <laughs> or your ability to handle your dog. Okay, I'm only looking at your dog's limbs, I promise you. And then that tends to make people feel a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah, Sorry, so you, when you, you basically, but your brain adjusts, doesn't it? You know, it's like if you live in a house that's got a stinky bathroom because of some sewage problem, over time, your receptors adapt to that. When I, I went to Iceland many years ago now and the water, I assume it's still the same, but because it's volcanic, the water, the tap water smells very, very strongly of sulfur. Mm. And sulfur is rotten eggs, mm. basically. And so and you have to adapt over the period you're there to the fact that you're washing your face or showering in rotten egg filled water. <laughs> you know? And you do over time. And obviously for Icelandics, they are not going to be noticing that because it's mm. what they're born into, et cetera, et cetera. I know it's way too matters to you. Um, and you know, so so that's that's an important thing as well. You know, for us to just bear in mind is that you know sometimes people might notice if it was brand new because it, but if it's crept in, they haven't noticed. So that's why planting a seed can be a good idea, and maybe sometimes you know reverting back to, well, this is what we'd consider to be within normal limits. Yeah. I wonder whether or not Fido quite fits in with that. But then when we think about, you know, well, we're not vets, you know, if we're not a veterinary professional, the most important thing is observation and recording those observations, whether we do that in a video light way, which is a bit tricky sometimes because we're not trying to get the dog to perform. And, and when we see abnormalities on video, they don't always look the same on the video as they do in real life. Yeah. You know, a dog who's having a seizure or a dog who's limping. Sometimes it can be quite hard to really see that on a video, but it can be helpful. So it's often more just writing stuff down, you know, that we have have seen, you know, how often we see it. And that's what we're going to present to a vet. Mm. We're going to say, you know, the, we, we've noticed in our sessions as the trainer, the behaviourist, I've physically seen this with my own eyes. This is what the client, the guardian, the caregiver has noticed. 
could you have a look at the dog? Mm. You know, and because also one of the issues we have when you say, and we still, you know, as a vet, I see it, go get a vet check. For what? Yeah, right. Mm. I mean, I could spend two, three, six, ten hours examining any dog for every part of their body. And I've probably got a 15 minute consultation. Mm -hmm. So and a dog who's probably scared about being in the vets anyway and maybe full of adrenaline. So what am I looking for? If I've got some observations that you have a professional has made and the, and the caregivers made too, then I've got a better idea of what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Is it skin? Is it ears? Is it gait? You know, and what and, and what I'm seeing is it does that seem to marry up? So, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's lots of things that we need to consider there, how we handle it, the human behavior change, human behavior engagement, communication element, as well as using our often brilliant skill set of making observations, but how we present that to another professional in a way that doesn't step into their territory. It's not about making a diagnosis, um, but it's going to carry useful information forward. That's, I mean, that's kind of the way that I do approach it in fairness, that sort of like plant the acorn and then, you know, then remind a bit later on if it's still something that you're concerned of and and yeah by that point generally the guardians are on board i think that's really useful advice to trainers really, really and i love the fact of like our powers of observation because yeah i mean that's what we do we look at dogs all day long don't we that's a, you know we've been around dogs a lot of us have our own dogs you know so those powers of observation are definitely within a trainer's skill set a lot of the time and I'm going to say something risky here and i'm going to say they're not in a vet skill set <laughs> That's mm. awful. What I mean about that, put that into context, context is important. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what I mean is vets are typically, or your, your dog vet in particular, is looking at a dog in a consulting room. Um, and, you know, what the dog is offering in a consulting room, because it's, vets are a scary place, because they smell funny, people are dressed weird, there's other stressed dogs around, and they've often had negative experiences in there before. They offer a very different... Um, they, they offer different behaviours and body language and, and patterns of activity. So actually, many of us don't pay so much attention to them because we know it's not a realistic representation of what they might be doing at home. And so therefore, what we are very good at is we're very good at palpation. We're, we're very good at hopefully listening if it's with a stethoscope, hopefully listening to what the client's telling us, hopefully, um, but also but feeling the dog. You know, and I can get information, of course I can, about a dog, which maybe the client isn't telling me, like they've got thickened elbows or thickened stifles and there's, you know, inappropriate range of motion in a particular place or that there's thickening in the skin or, you know, all these sorts of things, a problem in the tooth. And, and some of those things are direct observations with my eyes, but a lot of them are feels, but they're not the same as what as, as a, a dog training behaviour professional is seeing in a different context. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to recognise our own superpowers. And I think I'm I'm going to say something risky now. Sorry, Corinne. Yeah, to you, go. In. you go. Um, I I work with some amazing vets, veterinary nurses, you know, receptionists, all sorts part of the practice. But it I I feel like this conversation has to be about all of us as well because we I often feel like I'm sort of sticking my head up above the, <laughs> for criticism when I contact people and they go uh excuse me that's not your job and I know it's in the way uh, the way you deal with it but I'll, I'll give you an example so I took grew to the vet a little while ago just for a checkup nothing serious and um 
he laid down in the consult room, which he will usually do. I know that's because one, the floor is slippy and he's a big gangly lurcher. Um, Two, so usually I take vet beds to align that. Two, he knows that anything that the vet is going to do is about his undercarriage and requires him to be stood up. So he's lying down to hide all that and go, no, thanks. My avoidance. Exactly. And the vet said to me, oh, look, he's relaxed now. He's lied down. And you kind of think I didn't I didn't feel comfortable to say otherwise in that moment because I don't want to seem like little Mrs. Know-it-all behaviorist who yeah. is gets a you know whatever you use a shorthand on the database to say that I'm a difficult <laughs> client so I, I'm not I very know, good at the shorthand yeah. acronyms to be honest you just write it I out. know that I know that's yeah I know that's just me but you know we it would be lovely for us all to be able to feel more confident and not feel like I feel like I'm treading on eggshells sometimes is what I'm trying yeah. to say I yeah. I was um, oh, we'll going to add on yeah, to that on. like that one thing that I find ourselves often doing is telling our students and uh, what we're often doing ourselves is normalizing behavior but like you said about rushing in you know when someone comes to you and they've got that what they've come to you for the x y and z that they've come to you for and then we're going ah that's this is a really normal dog behavior it's really dismissive isn't it and perhaps you know i've been to the vets for peaches licking and i got told that dogs lick and i was instantly miffed off with that comment so you know (laughs) we as trainers even though we might be observing behaviors that people want to change as very normal that maybe we we should sort of take that gentler approach Mm. like that you were talking about there Mm -hmm. That was what that that conversation made me think of. Yeah, no, that's a that's a yeah. really good point. I and I, I, vets, we've had a really quite a good experience with one of our vets that we'd kind of we, we'd kind of um, written them off, and then that something happened recently where our Newfoundland needed to have a lump removed from their tail, um, and because we had quite a few um, appointments back to back, we got to know the vet a bit more the vet got to know our dog a bit more and you think these tiny little windows that vets get to you know to see a dog it's nothing is it it's nothing but by the end of it the actual experience was really good it was it was really good um and that really opened my eyes a little bit like how difficult it is for vets you know if i if i had you know if i had 15 minute windows doing dog training you're not going to get anywhere you know like you say my my first 15 minutes of a of a training session is walking around a field yeah, having a conversation with guardians whilst observing the dog, you know, um, it, it must be really, really difficult, really, really difficult for vets. I can I can only imagine, you know. Um, well, exactly, and it's not also. It's also not just about the dog, is it? It's mm-hmm. about it's about mm-hmm. the human. Mm-hmm. So, how much do I know the human and what they really want to gain out of this as much as as the dog? I mean, both are equally as important. Yeah. You know, and that and that's the same in training, of course, as well, you know, but that's when you then think about, yeah, I've got maybe a 10, 15, maybe if I'm really lucky, 20 minute window. And I only meet those individuals once a year, twice a year, mm-hmm. three times a year. That's really, really tough, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that's an ideal model. It goes all the way back to and I can't remember what um when when it was in time, but that concept that. We used to apparently, because um, I wasn't around, I'm not that old, we used to pay pay doctors to keep us healthy, not 
to fix our disease. So if we got sick, we stopped paying them. Yeah, apparently, because we paid them to keep us healthy, not to fix our disease. And somehow we've and and you can imagine that's a very different way of looking at it, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. if I'm paying an individual to keep me healthy, then we're going to probably be meeting on a way, I hope, on a way more regular basis than if I only see someone when I'm sick, mm-hmm. you know. And and so you're going to end up with a very different relationship. And I, I do wonder a little bit, both within the human medical community and within the veterinary community, you know, how how much that remain, that change could be could be beneficial as well. Because many of us find today, and when course in the inning in England, we are incredibly lucky to have the National Health Service. You know, but it's under enormous pressure and GPs are under enormous pressure. We we don't have, you know, roll back 30, 40 years ago where you could go in and just, you know, have a bit of a chat with your GP. Mm. You know, I mean, nowadays your legs got to be falling off or you can even get an appointment. Oh, God. So, yeah. you know, it's and that's not the doctor's fault. That's no. the system's mm-hmm. fault. Yeah. And it's the same sort of thing with the vets and the pandemic and the rise in pet numbers, you know, et cetera. So it is, we do have to think about that, don't we? We have to think about how challenging it is for the vet, where there's got to be compassion and empathy for the way that they're being kind of almost forced to work and do their absolute best. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can being dismissive of the client is just an awful thing and it happens all the time. What's the emotional experience of that client who often who's had to, you know, they've picked up a phone, they've shown vulnerability because that's the way we are in society, that if we can't do something perfectly for ourselves, we are an idiot, we're vulnerable, we're useless. We've seemed to somewhere bash that into our skulls, don't we? So there's a vulnerability in picking up the phone and saying, my pet's sick, my pet's got this behaviour issue, my pet's got this training issue. And that takes huge courage. And then they turn up and we go, yeah, it's totally normal. You know? Um, I mean, yeah. you know, it is difficult. I never forget um, quite a long time ago now, I did have a male caregiver come in with a hamster and ask me what the, is that that's a tumour, isn't it, between my hamster's back legs? And I did have to say, no, it's a testicle. OK. And, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, this caregiver looked at me like, but it's enormous. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hamsters are very well endowed. <laughs> And, you know, so I appreciate, you know, that depending on how we handle that sort of scenario, it may always be a little bit dismissive, you know, because we've got to find the humour in the scenario. Why would you have gone between the hamster's back legs to have ever looked for their testicles? Actually, in fact, I remember having exactly the same conversation with a dog caregiver last year. Exactly the same thing, you know, because the dog did have a tumour in their testicle and I noticed it in a consultation when they'd come in for something else. And I'm like, well, actually, while you're here, it is important that I've noticed, and bear in mind, it is my job to notice these things. Your dog's actually got one testicle much bigger than the other. They? Yeah. Would you like to look? I'm going to sound a bit weird now, I said to the client, but, you know, would you like to look? (laughs) Um, And... You know, and then try and I mean, obviously, humor is not always appropriate, clearly, but it, de- and it depends how the client's reacting to certain things. Yeah, sure. But, you know, in that scenario, I did have to say, you know, because they were mortified, absolutely mortified that they'd not noticed this. And I said, but I'd be more mortified if I found that you were staring at your dog's testicles every single day. <laughs> you know, and, you know, just I was just try, thinking of you, Nat. <laughs> just, just to try to, you know, exactly. I mean, yeah, maybe some of us would do that, of course we would, but, you know, other of us would find that quite weird. <laughs> I, I used to have a, a Ridgeback client who had just the most wonderful testicles I've ever seen in my life. And they're, they're very hard not to stare at, I'll be honest. Um, 
I'm just making sure it was about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> just checking the way you worded that. Well, it was about the Rhodesian Ridgeback, wasn't it? Seeing yeah. as we're talking about testicles, um, yeah. best segue oh, ever, obviously. that was seamless. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I did want to touch slightly on the topic of neutering a little bit today. And I know, I know it's, we could talk for hours and hours about probably everything that we talk about on this. And, but I, it's still a thing where people are coming to trainers and being, you know, six months, that's the time where off they come or, you know, whatever it might be. And it seems, seems to be that sort of like almost like a cultural thing to me, it seems absolutely bananas to neuter a dog during adolescence. Like when they're a bubbling cocktail of hormones (laughs) and emotions and, and I and I I have this is out of my skill set obviously. Um, I know, I know what I've read. I know what I've learned. I've, I've even heard you talk about it before, Amber. But I just wanted you to talk a little bit about maybe maybe how trainers approach that because again that's a difficult conversation to have. If you have any sort of like go to resources to point people towards in thirty seconds. In thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it <laughs> in, 30, in a small period of time. It is tricky, isn't it? Yeah. What can I don't feel the the big the, 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 the big picture of it is decisions about neutering need to be individualized. Okay, that's what it comes down to. What's right for one individual dog is not necessarily right for another individual dog. And again, like we've said earlier, it's not just about the dog either. It's also about the the human caregiver and the environment in which that dog is in. You know, there's going to be multiple things um, which are going to impact on the decision making process. And I actually think really probably as a trainer, that's that's kind of the bit where we need to know, OK, well, as long as I, I'm I'm able to make the, the caregiver aware of that, that's my limitation. Yeah, really. Yeah. It just needs to be individualized. And I, I don't see any reason realistically why there's any problem with a trainer saying to a client, you know, veterinary medicine seems to have and seems to be is an appropriate phrase just in case you get a vet who perhaps for some reason isn't on board with that particular concept at that point seems to have got to a point where it's being considered individually you know but and and I I certainly do think though that we can talk about the breed specific and size specific guidance that we've got Um, and again as a trainer we don't need to know any ins and outs about that you don't need to know whether it's better to neuter a large breed dog earlier or later you don't need to know that bit that's not your bit all you need to know is that i i am aware that there's a lot more research available now that size matters yeah and size influences age and that's something um that perhaps you need to have the conversation with the vet about yeah Yeah. have we just got a tagline that's all it is isn't it Size matters. Size matters. The tagline for this podcast. (laughs) I like. I I really, really like that because yeah, that falls into a trainer's skill set, doesn't it? We're not. We're not going to be delving into the genetics of the dog in 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 that respect. But yeah, size, um, breed. Yeah, all of these things. And and just just getting. I think maybe our our area is to get people to maybe just think twice. Again, planting those little seeds, isn't it? Just go. Oh. Well, I thought this was a done deal. I thought, you know, Jeff down the road says six months, whip them off, you know, um, let's yeah. let's be done with it. Um, but just planting those seeds that, oh, you, you know, you might want to think about that. Think twice about that, because there is some stuff that suggests that you might 
you know you might something want to have a conversation with a vet yeah it. something mm. that i quite like to do a lot as well is to ask why someone feels that way or why they are doing that and yeah. if you know if it's then um oh we pisses on everything or there's an entire bitch next door mm, and he yeah. keeps going through the fence or he humps everyone that comes to the house you can either then have a conversation about whether the research says that neutering might affect that or not and you might then find a new strand of training that you could help them with as well um so yeah i think open that's the theme of everything isn't it whether you're vets trainers behaviorists whatever preventative open ended communication is the the way to go well absolutely because you know at the end of the day that if that's what is driving them to do that thing that's what we've got to address mm-hmm. you know and 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 that's why that's so important isn't it we've got to get the caregivers well we have to have an understanding of what is motivating the caregiver to believe that you know, and when mm-hmm. we've got to present that in a way that doesn't come across that, well, why do you believe that? Because I don't. You know? <laughs> yeah. It can't come across like that. That's not how it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know, but obviously it's got to come across. I'm genuine. I am genuine. I'm genuinely interested to hear what what it is that why it is the moment you think that's so important. You know, mm-hmm. what is what is Fido doing or what have you heard that that leads you to that to that point? You know, mm-hmm. and it might be right. You know, it might be, might maybe there's maybe it might not be. You know, because and, and so it's that sort of stuff, isn't it? I mean, neutering is a, it's a it's a hot topic still at the moment um, across a whole variety of cultures across the globe, and because of medical implications, um, and you know, so I do have stuff that will be coming up that is related to neutering. People can keep an eye out on my business page, um, you know, to, to to see what I've got coming up about neutering. We've got the book Canine Behaviour in Mind that was edited by Suzanne Rogers, who I mentioned earlier. Um, oh, there's another good chapter, I think, in that book. Um, oh, oh, is that? Oh, it's by I... Steve Goward. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't get past chapter one. I thought it was rubbish. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe, maybe, maybe Natalie may have uh, maybe contributed to the chapter, maybe as well. There's a um, great book, um, but I, I wrote, but I wrote chapter and it's just brilliant. And um, no, so there's a chapter in there about um, dogs, the vet dog behavioural in mind thing. And there are actually some references about neutering in there. So if we just want to go an easy go, a go to place where you could get some references that are up to date, mm. that are considering neutering and behaviour, that's quite an easy place for me to say, we'll go there mm-hmm. rather than giving, you know, reeling off now a load of authors and what date mm-hmm. the paper was published. Yeah. Um, actually, it's easier because I could just do that. But I promise <laughs> and most people know I could do that. But <laughs> it's better just to go to the book, to be honest, because it will be mm-hmm. easier. And obviously, I've tried to explain some of that research in the chapter a little bit. But it is overall, we need to be individualizing the discussion. You know, is that right for this dog in this household right now? Yeah, sure. You know, that's the important thing. And actually, from a trainer's perspective, that's probably that's the only acorn we need to be planting. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think one common um, answer to that question, which I know um, the Goodalls have experienced as well, is that um, well, they're a rescue dog and the rescue made yes. a sign something to yeah. say that they had to be neutered before six months. I completely understand the motivation from yeah. the rescue there. 
but again there's another conversation to be had and you know I know we've all worked on cases where we've just spoken to the rescue and gone look they're really yeah. responsible there's not going to be any uh you know unsolicited breeding and litters and yeah. it might be in the dog's benefit to xyz so yeah most exactly i mean at the end of the day rescue centers have to have fairly blanket policies because yeah, they, they haven't got time to individualize everything mm -hmm. they've individualized the choice of guardianship they've individualized you know certain other elements of the way the dog's being trained and managed etc because they've had to they can't do everything and of course mm -hmm. rescue centers are highly motivated by let's not have more and more rescue dogs exactly yeah you know yeah. but as you know it's been stated in certain pieces of research i think mcgreevy is a good example of that you know and i think that was 2019 but they just you know he says in there you know at the end of the day one of the sort of complications is that actually if we knew to certain dogs at the wrong time the evidence is increasing that we might increase their risk of behavior problems and although we're not actually increasing numbers to go into rescue centers we're increasing the risk for that individual to be relinquished and end up in mm -hmm. a rescue center so it's a complicated path in which we tread, but rescue centres have got to have some blanket policies mm -hmm. because they just don't have the time and resources to individualise everything, particularly once the dog is outside of their care. You know, really? but most of them, the vast majority of them are approachable for individualisation in some circumstances. Aren't yeah, that, that's certainly been my experience. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes, um, you know, the... The caregivers desperately want to do the right thing so they're, they're just following what they've been asked to do and they didn't realize there was another option so again exactly. having those conversations means that you can pick that out and support people and you know make sure that everybody's happy exactly so i think i think the theme is just keep talking right? yeah <laughs> yeah more talk more yeah. talk more talk more compassion yeah. more yeah it's, it's it's a difficult it's hard hard in the world out there at the moment to be more compassionate but we need to be and that's what definitely something that we need to be better at doing right often yeah. and, and obviously towards one another and one another's roles that one another play mm -hmm. definitely yeah i yeah. think um often um the conversation comes up around adolescence time doesn't it so i didn't know if we could spend a bit of time maybe talking about the dog when they enter adolescence and maybe what's going on a bit well, we've heard, apparently, you know, we've had from Steve um, the best summary, which is, frankly, they're just this soup of hormonal and emotional mess. <laughs> you know, I think that's a, that's a really good summary at the end of yeah. the day, isn't it? Mm. There um, she Alice... is. <laughs> <laughs> that's my soup of emotional mess. She's shattered at the moment, thank God. <laughs> Adolescence and puberty are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's the, what the, probably the biggest take-home. So puberty is about becoming reproductively um, mature so that you can have babies. That's mm -hmm. what puberty is about. So if you are a male, then it is getting to a point where your testicles are able to produce mature sperm to fertilize a female's eggs. And if you're a female, it's about your eggs um, being released in the mature way in which the womb is developed enough so that the eggs in the womb can be fertilized and then can carry a, a fertilized, um, you know, conceptus embryo. So, you know, that is that's what puberty is about. And of course, there's hormonal change that goes alongside that, which is predominantly driven by the testicles themselves producing testosterone 
and the ovaries of the female producing things like estrogens and progesterones. Okay, but adolescence is independent of puberty. Adolescence is changes in the brain and the brain chemistry that drives a transition from being dependent on caregivers to being independent of caregivers. So we as humans typically start going through adolescence around about 15 to 18 years of age, something like that, maybe a little bit later than that. Whereas many children nowadays are actually undergoing puberty as early as nine nine or ten certainly quite common for for girls to to be um already having their periods you know and therefore puberty wise yeah they probably could carry a pregnancy by the time they're 10 which is uh, all of us would think well that's just ridiculous that's just shocking i don't think any of us wouldn't think that if you don't think that then um go go and have a little sit down in a darkened room and rethink (laughs) it because you've misheard me some help Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going to be judgy. We're just going to suggest <laughs> Am I? that they should go and have another think about it, maybe. But you know, so but the, and that's but that's a fact. And and the point is, so the transition, just because you could get pregnant, doesn't mean to say you would be leaving your family group. So I think I, I'm going to take the shift for a minute into horses because then it can feel a little bit softer for many people. So a horse, as an example, will often go through puberty. A female horse actually tends to go through puberty when they're about 18 months to two years of age. So by the time they're two years old, most female horses are capable of carrying a pregnancy. When does the female horse transition from living with her core family group to moving out to another group? Well, for an awful lot of females, never. They stay with that family group forever in that nursery group. And the way that evolution works that out so that it's not dad getting her pregnant is that bachelor stallions, as we call them, um, they come and they go. So it's unusual for a stallion to be the only breeding male for that group for longer than one or two years. We do have circumstances where they actually do manage to, to keep themselves as the main breeding male for longer than that. But then guess what? Funnily enough, um, the, the, the daughter tends to actually go off and, and have sex and get fertilised by a different male and may still return back to her core nursery group and have somebody else's male. So, it, but the point is, when we think about it, we go back to humans and think about it, we can go through puberty, we go through adolescence, they're different phases. There are some people right now who would say, well, adolescence perhaps doesn't finish till you're 30, 35, because that's about the average age where people are leaving their family home nowadays, you know, and that's saying 40, maybe beyond. Um, you know, but that's the truth, isn't it? And so that's the total difference. So there's these changes in the brain that happen in adolescence, which are about preparing you, encouraging you almost to transition from being dependent on your care provider to being independent of that care provider. And different individuals are going to be able, ready to go through that phase at different times. And it's independent of puberty. We do also recognise that, um, because I've got to get it in somewhere, that the gut flora, the gut bugs, also change quite a lot in that adolescent period as well. And now we're starting to appreciate that gut bugs produce chemistry, chemicals, which impact on the way the brain functions. So maybe it's actually there's something funny about the time of that individual's life, that life stage where the gut bugs start to change. And because they change chemistry, that actually drives the chemical change in the brain. 
But so it's not just a brain chemistry related thing. There are other things that are happening. Their studies have been done where animals have been um, castrated or had so they've lost their testicles, all their ovaries at birth. You know, we've actually this is an awful thing, but we've operated on those individuals and I say at birth, but within the first few weeks of life um, as a laboratory rodent, we've removed them. And then those studies have shown those individuals still go through all the chemical changes in the brain related to adolescence. So we know that adolescence is independent of puberty. So when we're thinking about neutering, we mostly many of us are thinking about neutering from the perspective of not that individual not having babies that, you know, go back to the rescue center discussion. That's what it's about. And that might be appropriate. But the problem we have is that stress is often um, felt stronger and responded to by the body stronger in adolescence, you know, and it may well be that if we do that procedure to render that individual infertile when they hit puberty, that has, of course, an impact then of um, a knock-on effect of creating a bit more stress through the procedure itself and changes that need to happen in the body because of a, a sudden loss of those hormones. But also, of course, um, the fact the hormones themselves, whilst they don't drive adolescence, they do things to the brain and to the gut and to the rest of the body which might support that transition through adolescence. And that's one of the reasons it's been looked at in science, you know, is to say, actually, we perhaps need what's called proofing of the brain um, from our reproductive hormones, because they're not just about reproduction. They're about the body and brain growing and changing and developing resilience and all sorts of things, mm. you know. And so actually removing those sex hormones before and should we call them that, therefore? But, you know, removing them before we get through adolescence is a complicated thing. There's way more to it than that in terms of growth rates and growth development and what might happen to the dog's joints, their bone development, their immune system development. You know, and, and so that's, you know, go back to the canine behavior in mind, edited by Suzanne Rogers. And, and a good starting point is some of those references in there, because then we get into all sorts of technicalities about when's the best time then for some individuals size matters in terms of you know breed might matter in that context and you know then you know of what the risks might be for an individual at given times but adolescence tricky time you know for all of us tricky time for our dogs too um and yeah and the nutrient thing is often linked in isn't it really accidentally yeah yeah you've it... just blown my mind yeah yeah, it's what incredible, incredible. I, I, yeah, and I, I guess sort of like the procedure itself as well. That that, that could have an effect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just this is going down all sorts of little avenues that we could literally talk about for about seventeen years. I'm probably quite sure, but yeah, yeah, absolutely fascinating. And, and let's love... talk about that last bit then. Let's talk about the procedure itself, not because I want to talk about the procedure itself, but Take dogs away. coming into a veterinary practice. Because I, I want, you know, I, I'm going to be speaking, apparently, excitedly at the conference again this yeah. year. And this year, I believe we're sort of themed around sort of problem solving with mm. training, aren't we? Or within training. Yeah, like different different scenarios. So each speaker is going to bring their um, experiences and expertise from a certain um, environment that dogs may be living in. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be talking about the veterinary environment. And so absolutely, when we think about a dog who might be coming in for a neutering procedure, 
um, certainly an elective procedure. So when we've chosen to do something mm. of which earlier on in a dog's life, the most common one is the neutering procedure. Um, but of course, it could be for something else. It could be for a dental. It could be um, to maybe have their dew claws or perhaps, um, you know, a an abnormal foot development addressed or, you know, there's lots of things, oh, do we do it now? When do we do it? We've got a bit of time, but, you know, it's always a slight risk factor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, there are times when oh, we don't really have a lot of choice, actually, because dogs now developed a growth on their side or they've broken a tooth. I've got a little dog who, um, you know, is coming in um, imminently, a little beagle, and he's terrified of the vets and he gets really quite fear aggressive at the vets, but he um, he's broken a tooth. And, and even me being able to look in his mouth to confirm he's broken the tooth and that the tooth is dead is tricky because he is terrified of being handled anyway. He's now got to the point where the clients can't handle him around his mouth at home either. And, you know, and then and I want to look in a mouth which actually is probably painful. So that's really, really tricky. So what sorts of what I'm going to try to do with my presentation at the conference in October is to look at that challenge, really, of what can we do and maybe what can't we always do that while we're training? Mm -hmm. How could we prepare the dog who is going to be going for a neutering procedure at some point from a training perspective so it goes better at the vets? How can we prepare the dog who's already known to be fearful at the vets so that hopefully, you know, they have, um, you know, they've got a, a better resilience, emotional resilience to a procedure if that has to happen, going to the vets, etc. Um, and what are the challenges there from a training perspective? What are the limitations of training? You know, and what what aren't? What are the, you know, the positives? What can we hopefully achieve for those individuals? Because I think it's a huge area that is currently underutilized in veterinary practice. You know, is is and we've got more dogs than ever who are scared of coming to the vets um, and are are often, but not always, demonstrating that through fear orientated aggressive behaviours actions. Mm -hmm. And that's actually making it harder and harder and harder for vets to do things in a relatively compassionate way because you can't even touch them, mm -hmm. can't even touch these dogs. You know, and so what you know, so although while we're not going to be addressing that that element really specifically in the conference what we're going to talk about is is that problem solving that challenge for those sorts of individuals and ideally how to prevent that in the first place how can we get the dogs into a better position through our skills as non-vet training professionals i know that myself whilst i'm in the audience and i imagine lots of other people feel like this that we might go away with a sense of being able to take some pressure off our shoulders whether it be with our own dogs or what pressure we might be putting on to our clients about how much they need to do to prepare their their puppies for going to the vets later on in life yes absolutely that is something that we will talk about because i think sometimes there is a huge like you see it's a bit like you know i, I dare say older fashioned but you know some people might not feel it's old-fashioned so apologize apologies if you don't think so what i would call the old socialization programs where you had to meet three babies in prams by week 12 and then five men with beards and two people with umbrellas um, and all that stuff. And this enormous pressure that's put upon us then as this new puppy guardian, that, oh, if we don't do all those things by week 12, they're going to turn into the pumpkin <laughs> from Cinderella. You know? and, um, and it's not true. Uh, and, you know, and we can overwhelm 
the puppy and we can overwhelm the caregiver and actually sometimes then that pressure actually results in a relationship breakdown Mm -hmm. so you know this isn't about okay well what we we, what we must all do and add to our list therefore is we must also add in getting the dog used to being touched in their mouths and under the tail and having a thermometer shoved at their bum and a stethoscope and (laughs) blah 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 and we've got to think we're going to be thinking more outside the box about it and absolutely what can we do that might encompass a lot of those things? Babies in prams, hooch, you know, vacuum cleaners, men with beards, um, because vets can be men with beards. Vets are people, too, I often <laughs> say. Um, you know, even though if you don't believe me, we, we are most of the time anyway. And it, it's so, yeah, absolutely. I want it to feel like, yeah, we've got some new ideas, but they're not loading pressure onto us. You know, if anything, mm. it should be about alleviating some pressures. Mm. And enjoying that relationship with the dog and giving it time to develop in a way that allows the dog to have increased resilience as they grow. What what you're saying here, really um, similar to what Sindor was saying, actually, um, when we yeah. spoke to her the other day. Um, so it's really nice. It's nice to hear that that sort of like, because it's, it's true. When you're a dog trainer, there's, like, there's a new thing. There's a new thing to learn. There's another thing to learn. I mean, it's all kind of been repackaged and redone and, you know, places. But it's always <laughs> like, you know, um, this this thing. And if I'm doing a puppy cast, we need to do a you know, puppy cast on handling. We need to do a puppy cast on this. We need to do a puppy. And make sure that they know everything about a puppy in six weeks, 45-minute sessions. The idea of taking a bit of pressure off or seeing how we can, you know, achieve that resilience without you know, a hundred bearded men and, you know, whatever, whatever it else might be is a, is a really, it's a really nice concept. I like it. I'm, that's, I'm... that's what I want the episode called. A hundred bearded men. Yes. Steve's like, yes. I really want dogs socialized to bearded men. So I'll say a hundred. Yeah. You can't, you can't uh, quantify some things, can you? And I guess the gap there is uh, how do you explain that without sounding like some, woo um yeah. because it it does all getting back to individualization isn't it really it is. and it you know um even normalizing behaviors yeah that that's normal for that dog that i've got to know a bit and now i know that's okay whereas if i saw it in a different dog it might worry me yeah um yeah. and it's prioritization isn't it as well yeah. for the, for the dog client unit mm-hmm. you know that's a big part of it a lot of the time is that you know men with beards might be really a priority for certain individuals because they've got certain family members or they live in a particular community and I'm being really genuinely serious here mm-hmm. not just because I'm looking at Steve with a beard and <laughs> or the, you know, the dog a, the dog works at a barber's truth. dog works at a barber's I've had a couple of yeah. a couple of clients that have that have been actual barbers and their dogs have just sat in the in the salon with them you know salon is that right Barbershop. Yeah, salon, barbershop. And that that goes the other way, um, you know, with the socialisation list. Uh, Why do I need to take my 10-week-old puppy on a train if my dogs are not likely to travel on a train with me? I'm never going to get on a bus with my dogs. Yes, it might happen. Like, let's say my car breaks down, I've got to get the bus home. Hopefully I've done enough with my relationship that that's not going to end their world <laughs> yeah, exactly. but it doesn't mean i've got to get, get on a bus every week and feed them cheese obsessively <laughs> i thought you were going to Absolutely. say that you'd uh, done enough with your friendship relationships so that someone would come and give you a lift <laughs> <laughs> that's it well you you are those guys <laughs> yeah that's a no <laughs>
no, it's, it is, isn't it? It's, and that's why it can be frustrating to consider the individualised nature approach, you know, because wouldn't it be easier if we could all just conform to the same list and do the same thing and therefore I didn't really have to think about it, you know, and, and that's not being... Um, and I'm not trying to, to be disrespectful about the fact that we'd all like an easier life. We'd all like yeah. an easier life, you know, particularly post-pandemic and the world we live in today with all that awful, I'm not going to work, swear, <laughs> stuff that's going on, you know, in the world and everywhere. We would all like an easier life. And actually, I think some of the things that are going to come out of the conference is going to be how can we make our lives a little bit easier? You know, it was still still totally relevant to training dogs. But, mm -hmm. you know, how can we get that more? What can we work on as bases that I am going to be very trainee now and say, talk about provide generalization? Yeah. You know, what sorts of this? So that actually, yeah, you know, going on the bus, which actually is a brand new experience for that dog, because, you know, Nat hasn't made good friendship connections. So no one was willing to come and <laughs> no. pick her up in their car. To be um, fair, I never answer my phone. So <laughs> I can't expect other people to answer my phone no. if, if exactly. I'm in that situation. So Absolutely. that's my bad. It's on me. Exactly. You know, if that's a new experience for that dog, well, actually, there have been other things in place. Their foundation is is at a point where, OK, it's just, an, it's just a new experience. It's going to be fine then. You know, and, and it's that sort of thing. And that rolls into the veterinary world. It rolls into grooming. It rolls into what you might meet on the street and the first time you hear fireworks. You know, it rolls into lots and lots of different areas. And I know and absolutely know that Sindor will be talking about elements of that, too, um, as will other speakers. I'm sure Tom will be talking about it as well. You know, and um, and but and so therefore, but we're not going to be talking about it in slightly different contexts. But there's going to be huge overlap mm -hmm. and that's going to be great. Because there's going to be a, you know, how can we pull that together then to make sure that we are easing the pressure off people, but still being highly effective? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's what we need. Thinking, yeah. um, sorry, Steve. No, no, go on, go on. Uh, I was thinking, if you really break it down to what the groomers, the vets, any other situation, how many of us have actually let our dogs be led off by someone else and then be happy about it that's where it starts isn't it yeah. because yeah. if they won't actually walk out the back or they won't walk into the groomers obviously there's lots of different factors involved in that but I'm just thinking about um Bob when she went went to get spayed and yeah she's been handled by so many different people yes she loves me but because she's got a secure base she can go yeah oh yeah okay bye didn't even look back I mean I cried um but that's what I want you know and that I guess that's where it starts rather than um concentrating too much on the actual uh husbandry the actual this is a stethoscope obviously that that has a place but yeah I'm oh, sorry I'm 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 no, no, babbling. no. Good it's, it's secure, and it's unfortunately, and I don't want to finish on a really heavy note, but it's the same in society. It's the concept where, and you know, again, it's not, it's not a judgmental thing. It's, it's a fact. We live, many of us, in a society and a culture in which we have to get our children into some form of childcare because we've got to pay all these extortionate bills. And of course, mm -hmm. with, with with costs currently rising, it's worse and worse and worse. For, for you know huge numbers of us um but unfortunately for some of those children not all of those children but for some of those children you know that is it's too big a leap too far too soon mm -hmm. but yet so therefore but because we've done it with our children 
you know, then it's okay for it to be done to our dogs too, you know. And and so sometimes that that can be one of our issues is we've got so used to certain things in our society or in our culture that we don't retain the ability to question the appropriateness of that for the safe, secure, emotional development of that individual, Mm. you know. And and so, yeah, I I know there's going to be plenty of chat in the conference about how do we set ourselves up to create that safe, um, resilient, you know, therefore stress um, resilient, rebounding, competent individual who can cope with life, you know, rather than just I've trained them to behave in a particular way in one particular context. And therefore, I, oh, and I've got so much pressure because I've got to get used to all of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, some of that's going to help in certain, but again, for individual, what the priorities then, you know, but actually having an individual who just feels safe in life and you know, that is a thing, that's a structural thing in the brain, you know, that, that actually, if you have good, secure attachments, you've been able to develop that secure, safe relationship and that feeling, your stress parts of the brain are not as, as active as individuals who haven't developed that. They haven't had that opportunity. That's just a fact, you know. So, you know, that that's that's just so important. You know, you, you can't train that. You can't change that by training. Yeah, you can change the, about what, the way... what behavior they show, but you can't change the feeling that underlies it. You know, because that feeling is in in part in the majority being motivated by the way that their their brain, their gut, their body's responding in that moment. And if we've set them up to have an over-responsive stress axis, unintentionally, of course, you know, then it doesn't matter what training we do, it's going to be really, really seriously hard work. I'm working on uh, Penny knowing that I've got her back with the flies coming into the house at the moment because she absolutely goes bonkers. We have Peaches, the Newfoundland, wants the back door open. So all the flies come in and, and Penny goes bonkers. Um, so I'm like, I've got this. I'm going to get rid of the fly. <laughs> so we're building up. A, I'm feeling like she might be reacting a little bit less to the flies because she's like, Mum's going to get this. It's all right. I think yeah. she, I think she just wants carte blanche to try and murder the fly. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> we should also caveat that as trainers, we also try the easiest part. And how many fly screens have you sent back now because they haven't fit the the door? You know that that's step one, isn't it? Stop my, the flies coming my, in in the first. My dad place. is a carpenter, and he's always like, measure twice, but or buy or cut once. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, yeah. Two two fly screens at the moment that do not fit. So if anybody wants to try them, do drop <laughs> us an email and I will just, just pay the postage and package and you can have them. <laughs> we always we always joke about um how like my rescues that I've had long enough that, you know, they've been through adolescence with me. Uh so mainly fish and, and bob, they've just got no fear of it's just like mum will always catch me and we we always joke that they're they're just gonna die from like falling off something one day because they're just like well why would I be scared of gravity (laughs) (laughs) like Bob fell out of bed the other day (laughs) oh so relaxed (laughs) so um I think this is up ideal opportunity to wrap things up yeah um, we've kept you for too long sorry oh, oh my god it's, it's been, been fascinating yeah. though it's been great absolutely fascinating as ever we could listen to you talk for forever and ever and ever so thank you so much for giving us some of your very valuable time 
Um, that and... time flew, by the way. I did not know it was that late. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Time flies when you're having fun. It does. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, massively looking forward to October. And uh, if anyone wants to grab a ticket for the conference, go to our website, packed-dogs.com. Guys, getting late in the day. I had to really think about that then. <laughs> um, and, and click on the conference tab. Uh, the Dog X conference tab. Um, we still have a few tickets. They are going. They're going very, very fast. Um, so you can you can also just put into your search bar, dogxconference.com. It'll take you there. Exactly. You're there. In fact, Dr. Amber Batson is our uh, poster girl on there. She's the first thing you see when you when you go on that oh. page. That's great. I apologise. You're looking good. <laughs> You're looking deep in thought. Amber, earlier on as well, you said you've got some things upcoming and that people can head over to um, your page, uh, but you didn't mention where. So is there um, a website or a, a Facebook you want to direct people to? Yeah, so I have a Facebook page, um, which is Understand Animals. So Understand ending in a D. There's no ings, there's no S's. It's just Understand, Understand Animals. Um, and you should uh, spot a little image of uh, two horses sharing something from a net and then a larger picture of an amazingly handsome English Bull Terrier exploring a castle wall. So if you're seeing something that looks like horses and um, a bull, English Bull Terrier, then you're probably in the right place. And uh, yeah, and so I have posts on there with what's upcoming and there will be obviously more stuff moving forward about individual things. And obviously the pack conferences on there. And, you know, so, yeah, take a look at that. It's a good place to go and, and see what else I've got coming up for sure. But, yeah, it will be and, and there will be chat about the conference and after the conference, I have no doubt. So really looking forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity for letting me chat Thanks. and have a giggle um, and for yeah sharing a bit of information about my business and what we get up to. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to the conference. I know it's going to be a great time. We're going to have lots of fun. And yeah, hopefully as many people who are listening who can are able to join us will be able to. And mm -hmm. yeah, we will, uh, you know, see what see what happens when we get there. Yeah. What fun and japes we can take away. <laughs> and what game we'll be playing, yeah. most importantly. I mean, yeah. Give that yeah. a thought. Mm. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I censored myself. Oh, well done. She went there. There are so many taglines for this uh, podcast. Uh, it would be hard to pick. I've got 100 bearded men. That's the title. I mean, that's what's yeah. going to happen, isn't uh -huh. it? If that don't get people listening, I don't know what will. <laughs> I feel like okay, we're going to we get shall, a new audience. Um, we shall let you go and have your tea and be with your family. So thank you so much. Um, can, we get a, can we get a I'm quick there. photo before you go? Is that no. all right? Okay, <laughs> smile or make a funny face. Lovely. I don't know where <laughs> I was looking. I think the sky. I don't know where I was looking. I was the one that was taking it. So we'll see. We'll see how that turned out. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank Thanks. you so much. See you later. Speak soon. See you Atoms collide, our cells divide, just like they've all 
Stretches back through all time. Time guided by a primal desire to simply survive. Survive, you can't keep it down. And it 